My friends, if you could turn to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, the 20th uh, chapter of uh, 2 Chronicles. I read this uh, portion of scripture uh, Monday week back at the Elders Dickens meeting. And uh, said to the folks uh, on Wednesday night, so would uh, take uh, the subject of prayer uh, for a few weeks. And reading through this, and obviously it's Jehoshaphat's prayer, so it seemed like a good one to start with. Um, but see, when you go to Morrison's, those of you who do go to Morrison's, you know, you know the way they have wonky strawberries and wonky raspberries? No, I'm getting a blank look. Isn't it? Oh, yes, do get them. I'm sure Oz did do it too in Sainsbury's, yeah. I like the taste of it, right? Like, as I was reading this and doing this, I'm thinking, this is like a wonky prayer study. Uh, because I'm not sure if you, you'll think at the end of it, well, that was more about Jehoshaphat than prayer. So it's a, it's a wonky study tonight, okay? And uh, just as wonky strawberries taste nice, hopefully spiritually this will taste nice also. And you'll go on your way rejoicing. But Second Chronicles 20 it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazon, Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name's sake, or for your name's saying. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom God would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. My all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of 
Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Siz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Geruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Ending our reading at verse 19. Beloved, let us pray. Father, uh, we pray as we <coughs> did so on, on the Lord's day that as we turn now to your word that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. We are certainly earnest in our desire to hear from you. We are honest when we say that the inclination of our hearts are such that we are in desperate need of your enabling. We need your presence with us tonight and your spirit ministering to our hearts. And so we pray that you would come and meet with us afresh in the study of your word. Pray for those unable to be with us this evening. You know those who are legitimately detained. We remember those who could be here uh, but are not. We ask that you would not forget them. And so, Lord, enrich us as we look at your word and come to the throne of grace shortly in our meeting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, perhaps uh, you've read literature. Maybe you've gone into a business meeting or an educational establishment, you've been part maybe of a sports team or whatever, and the coach, the management consultant, the writer, uh, was essentially saying, you know, we can turn this around. We can do it. And you're thinking, maybe from a sports perspective, you're thinking, you know, we're 5-0 down at halftime. Uh, we haven't won a match the whole season. Uh, your seal and enthusiasm is infectious, but really, you know, take a reality check. You know, there, there's no way we're going to turn this around, no matter what you try to say. Have you ever been in that type of situation? A situation where the company maybe is struggling, everyone knows it's struggling, and the last thing you need is for some well-meaning individual to come along and tell you what you know isn't true. Namely, that we have within ourselves, we have the capacity, you know, to do it. We can turn it around. Uh, we really can. <laughs> and you're thinking, no, we can't. 
You know, in the light of what we've just read in this chapter, I don't think Jehoshaphat would have fallen for the we can do it exhortation. You know, we can turn it around, Jehoshaphat. I thought if he would have been prepared to accept that kind of counsel. Jehoshaphat's executing the role of leader amongst the people of Judah. And yet, he is prepared to acknowledge that which is not common in leadership then. Nor is it common in leadership today. Jehoshaphat is prepared to acknowledge that he isn't going to be able to turn this around. That he hasn't a clue what to do. And he feels himself to be totally powerless in the face of these armies coming against him. If you look at the end of his prayer in verse 12, he's basically saying that. He's basically saying, Lord... I may as well just acknowledge exactly how things are. You know, here I am, representative of your people, and we are powerless, and we are clueless. And in saying that, perhaps we see what is surely one of the classic Old Testament illustrations of Paul's phrase at the end of Second Corinthians chapter 12. Remember that statement? Um, When Paul says, in his own weakness, uh, Paul is saying, well, when I am weak, then I am strong. I I, I do hope and I pray that this study this evening will be a particular help and an encouragement to those of us who have been made aware of or need to be made aware of our own inadequacy when it comes to living for and serving God. We... We are painfully aware, aren't we, of the, of the challenges that face us as a, as a body of believers. The daunting challenges that, uh, in a sense, you know, we're tempted to recoil from. We, we wonder how on earth we're ever going to see any of this turned around. And perhaps you've come fresh from a scenario, you know, just described in the introduction Uh, and frankly you've grown weary of people telling you you can do it you you can turn it around when you feel you can't well I guess take courage because you're not alone and it's good to know that you can pray the prayer of Jehoshaphat the chapter begins if you notice it begins it happened after this Now, to know what happened before that, you have to go back to chapter 17. Now, I'm not telling you to go back to chapter 17. You can read it all later as homework. But if you go back to chapter 17, you'll discover that under the leadership of Jehoshaphat, Judah had experienced a time of reformation, experienced a time of blessing, experienced a... Under Jehoshaphat, um, well, they had a a leader who who was wise. And he put in place various uh, changes. And at the heart of all that was taking place 
there was a return on the part of the people of God to biblical preaching. Now, obviously it doesn't actually use the phrase biblical teaching, but that's exactly what it was. They had rediscovered the law of God, and they had brought the law of God before the people of God, and they had said, you know, this is God's word to us, and we need to understand it, and we need to obey it. And you'll find all the way through those chapters, 17, 18, and into 19, you will find all the way through those chapters that that emphasis reoccurs. Jehoshaphat had then gone on to appoint judges, to appoint leaders in various uh, positions of responsibility, and he urged them in assuming those positions of leadership to serve God faithfully, to serve God wholeheartedly, to serve God courageously. Good exhortation, isn't it? Those who were in leadership in their own country, whether uh, in national government or local government, that every time they went into the office, they were being urged to you know, uh, serve God faithfully and wholeheartedly and courageously. We could certainly come before God and pray that uh, that would be the case, that God would do that. So move in our nation that we would have godly leaders. Now, in chapter 20, we have the crisis. And the crisis comes in the opening verse. The people of Moab, with the people of Ammon, and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. The seriousness of the plight facing Jehoshaphat and the people is actually reinforced by the chronicler. Now, the chronicler obviously is the one inspired by God to write First and Second Chronicles. Uh, but the seriousness of the plight is reinforced by the chronicler saying again and again and again, this is a great multitude. This is a fast army. You'll notice that in verse 2. You'll also see it in verse 12, verse 15. And although we didn't read it, you also get it in verse 24. Uh, you find them uh, saying this great multitude, this fast army uh, is coming. And so it is that having called his colleagues and those who are serving with him to act with courage... You know, when you go into that office, you act faithfully, you act courageously. Jehoshaphat is now having to take his own medicine. He's going to have to act courageously as he faces this fast army. Now, friends, I think the point is obvious. The chronicler wants us to understand that the response of Jehoshaphat which is one of fear, as we're about to see in verse 3, is a perfectly understandable response. After all, the news comes. Fast numbers are attacking. 
And uh, it's off the scale, the, the amount of folks that are coming down the road. Uh, and they're united in their approach against you. It's not like Hitler in the bunker during the Second World War saying, you know, hopefully, you know, these allied forces that are coming against me, they're going to fracture. And um, when they fracture, you know, we'll be able to turn the war around. Oh, these people are united also. They're coming against you, fast army. And uh, Jehoshaphat's response is one of fear. And despite the fact that Jehoshaphat has been effective in reforming you know, principles in the nation, despite the fact that Jehoshaphat has a profile that many would regard as one of significance and leadership, Neither the profile that he enjoys, nor the position that he has fulfilled, nor indeed the procedures that he has put in place, prevent him from responding as he does to the news that he receives. He is not immune from fear. Now with all that, by way of introduction, just let us notice Three things concerning the weakness that is before Jehoshaphat. You could say, let us consider three things concerning the weakness that is before us in this chapter. And um, we'll look probably in more detail in the first one. Second one, not as detailed. Third one, we'll just be summing things up at the end. Okay, so but anyway, the first, first thing to notice is that the weakness is admitted. If you go down to verse 12 again, the end of his prayer, he says, We have no power against the great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Weakness is admitted. In other words, we're powerless. We're clueless. And, don't know about yourself, I think you will concur with me, but isn't it a major Failing in modern politics that no leader or government will admit weakness. You know, despite contemporary preoccupation with human effectiveness, and we're getting on top of this and we are turning it round. Uh, despite contemporary man management systems or whatever, you know, we're in control of all of this. Jehoshaphat takes a very different route. And he's honest enough to come before God and say, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. And then in verse 13, it says, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. That's a wonderful little picture, isn't it? Maybe in your mind's eye, you can picture them all standing there before the Lord. And maybe into your picture, you could bring someone or maybe a group of people coming along on the fringe of the crowd and saying, what's going on here? You know, what are the people of Judah doing now? Why? The big assembly, and not only why the big assembly, but why are you just standing here? 
Well, they're standing still in the awareness of the fact that they are both powerless and clueless in the light of the circumstances that's confronting them. This massive army coming down the road. They are standing still at the behest of their leader who has been humble enough to say, I don't know what to do. In fact, I'm powerless to do anything. But this I do know. And I invite you to do it with me. Just let us stand here and you stand with me as we seek God. Similar circumstance, isn't it? In fact, you find it throughout biblical history. You know, Moses stands still, he says, to the people and see the salvation of the Lord. Paul at Corinth, to use a New Testament example, he comes in weakness, he comes in fear and trembling at Corinth. And he says... There's an illustration of the way God's power works. Not only in my ministry, but also if you think about it with yourselves also. And he says, you know, think about it. Not many of you were mighty. Not many of you were noble. But God chose you. And God put you in positions. And the reason he chose you and the reason he put you in the position that you're in was so that nobody would boast before him. You know, look how mighty I am. Look how strong I am. Look how noble I am. So people would have come along and said to Jehoshaphat, come on now, Jehoshaphat. You've heard the news. Aren't you going to do something? Don't you have a strategy for dealing with this great advancing force? Is this the best that you can do as a leader? Is this all you can advise your people to do? You know, you're standing there saying we don't know what to do, but we are seeking seeking God. You know, Jehoshaphat's is clear. Uh, he's clearly not. Uh, I would say he's clearly not a an Arnold Schwarzenegger type character. Sure, he's not. You know, you know. In fact, few of those called of God are. You know, when you read the Bible, what you discover. You discover that the men and women that God puts His hand upon, God picks, that God chooses and uses are so often marked by hesitancy. There are people that are often marked by timidity and caution and uneasiness. There are people that are marked by a sense of their own personal inadequacy. In other words, God puts his hand upon and God picks the most unlikeliest of people. Gideon. Gideon says, I am the least in my family. My family is the weakest of all the families. And God says, Gideon, that's right. You're my man. Jeremiah says, 
can't speak. I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. God says that's right. You're my prophet, Jeremiah. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he commends to them Timothy as his young lieutenant, he doesn't say to them, you know, Timothy comes, make make good use of him. Make sure that you elevate his profile. See that his influence in the church is felt. Paul writes and he says, uh, you know, if Timothy comes, you put him at his ease. Put him at his ease because he's a timid character. And see that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. Why does God choose the weak? Because God's purpose is that we might depend upon him entirely. Part of the reason why we meet to pray, isn't it? Because we're entirely dependent upon God and we recognize that. That's why we have our quarterly prayer meetings. That's why we have the concerts of prayer as a constituency of churches because we're acutely aware that we're entirely dependent upon God. And that's why 2 Chronicles 20 is one of the the supremacy of the enemy and the inadequacy of the people. Isn't it strange, beloved, how God uses these type of things? You know, why is it that some of us limp through life? Why is it that some of us have a thorn in the flesh? You know, at least one. Why is it that there is anxiety of heart and spirit? Why is there restlessness? Why is it that there's a sense sometimes of of quiet desperation? Is it not so that we might know that we are absolutely powerless? And when we realize that we're absolutely powerless then aren't we driven to God in prayer? All kinds of cares and troubles. What have you come through the door of this little chapel with tonight? All kinds of cares and troubles come against us. But you know, if those cares and those troubles drive us to God in the awareness of our own helplessness, And I don't mean to be flippant when I say this because I don't know the extent of maybe what you're facing in your life. But if they drive us to God in the awareness of our own helplessness, are they not good? We don't want troubles, of course we don't. We don't want cares. We don't want the darkness. We all want the flowery beds of ease, yep. You know, that's what we want. But you know, if you read Pilgrim's Progress, and many of you have, you will know that both pilgrims, both of them get drowsy in the sunshine of enchanted ground. And the old hymns get this. Uh, that's why we sang 802. You know, 
look at 802 for a moment and you get this you know my heart is resting oh my God and uh, Anna whirring in her hymn gets what I'm trying to drive at here don't know if it registered with you what you were actually singing but look at verse 3 Glory to you for strength withheld. For want and weakness known. For fear that sends me, drives me to your breast. You get it? She says, Lord, I am thankful that I'm not strong. I am thankful that there are things I don't have. I am thankful that I am aware of my weakness. And I am thankful that I am fearful. Why is she saying that? Because it casts me upon you. And beloved, it's only when we are confronted by the facts of our own personal inadequacy that we will then be enabled to call upon God for all the adequacy that he provides. Are we conscious of our weakness here this Wednesday evening as we will come before the throne of grace shortly? And we could do nothing else other than call out to God and claim his promises. It's a weakness admitted. And then secondly, weakness addressed. The reason that Jehoshaphat is able to be as honest at the end of the prayer is because he is so unbelievably clear at the beginning of his prayer. Now the expression of his own inadequacy is set firmly within the context of all that he knows God to be. So for example. Verse 6. O Lord. God of our fathers. Are you not God. In heaven. That's what he knows God to be. And you see. He takes all that is. Before him. This vast army coming down the road. He takes all that is before him. In terms of this daunting challenge and he sets it firmly within the framework of his awareness of who God is aren't you the God who is in heaven don't you rule over the kingdoms of the nations verse 7 are you not our God Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel. And give it to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever. You see the importance of all these words. As he recalls the history of God's people and says. Didn't you do this in the past? You haven't forgot that? And that's the embarrassing moment isn't it? When your phone goes off in the prayer meeting. And the Bible study. And uh, you're flummoxing to get it turned off. But anyway, uh, the Lord has a purpose in everything. So he has. 
But yeah, you know, you're thinking, look, look, for example, uh, Sunday morning, you know, the psalm that we read, and the psalmist was saying, you know, we've heard about all of these things you've done in the past. And yeah, all those wonders that God has done. So encouraging, isn't it? When uh, you read the, the history of revivals, boy, it burns your heart. So encouraging. But should it not drive us to God in prayer to say, we've read about it, we want to see it. We just don't want the history lessons as enriching as they are for our souls. And so that this is what Jehoshaphat is doing in his prayer. God, it looks like <coughs> it looks like we are we are about to lose this land. God, I'm actually feeling like there is more than a distinct possibility that it's curtains, and I'm not sure what to do. But the thing, the thing that's really helping me here is, didn't you make a promise to Abraham? The thing that's keeping me seeing here is the fact that you're a faithful God. Didn't you say, I'm going to give you this land forever? That's given me my foundation. Now I apply that to your own Christian pilgrimage. Here you are, halfway through the week. And maybe already it's been a bad week. Maybe you've run up, uh, run against uh, a few things. And you hear the insistent, relentless voice of the wicked one. Saying, uh, you're a complete disaster. You know, uh, you're you're an absolute mess. And that means you're absolutely useless. So what do you do? Well, you set, you set it against the truth of the word of God. And first, that we quote it quite regular recently. Set it against the word of God. But God says that he's begun a good work in me. And I'm confident that he who began the good work in me, he will. Bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I feel very much like I'm losing this battle. But your word says, your word says, you will continue with me. You will keep me from falling. To go back to Jude. That you will preserve me. Because our God is a preserving God. You see, it's not offsetting one set of feelings by another set of feelings. But rather, beloved, it is bringing our feelings under the authority and under the instruction of the infallible inerrant word of God. And then at the end of verse 9, he says, When we cry out to you in our affliction... You will hear and save. And the answer to that is yes. What confidence 
and boldness, with what confidence and boldness we can come before the throne of God tonight. <coughs> we can cry out to God in our affliction. Well, we're not afflicted in this nation when we see all the evil that's happening. <coughs> you know, some of you are on the WhatsApp prayer group and sent through the wee, uh, petition thing tonight. You know, they come two to a dozen every day, don't they? About what's happening in the schools <coughs> in Hertfordshire, I think it was, or Hertfordshire. You know, this primary schools, you know what they're putting in with all this uh, LGBT stuff. Boy, we're afflicted. And as we cry out to you tonight, God, will you not hear? Will you not save? Yes. So, the weakness that is admitted is a weakness that is addressed in the facts of God's character and dealings. And then thirdly, as I say, this will just round it up, is the weakness that is answered when God brings his word to bear upon his people who stand in expectation. And that's where we are tonight. We're going to be standing in expectation. Now you'll notice that it is the word of God sent by the Spirit of God through the lips of the servant of God that finally gives the people the direction that they require. Uh, so, verse 15, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, says, listen, listen all you people, listen, Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you. you know, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, yeah, this great multitude is coming down the road, but don't you fear because the battle is not yours. It's God's. The battle's not yours, it's God's. So this is what you need to do. You know, just get out there, march down, and you read on through the chapter, you know, they go out the next day rejoicing. God's uh, in control. Take your positions, he says, stand firm and rejoice in the deliverance that I'll send. That's what God says. So here we are tonight, small group of people, but right around the nation tonight, there are people holding their midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. And so we are, we are part of, I would say, many thousands who are praying tonight. And we're putting the battle in array. It's not what it says in the, in the Old Testament. Put the battle in array. You know, get yourselves ready for war. And this is what we're doing. We're, we're engaging in a spiritual conflict tonight. And we're praying. Uh, praying that God would move in our nation. And we'll stand firm as we pray and ask God to do things in our nation and in our church. And uh, we will watch and see the deliverance that God would send. Again, it's just a reminiscent, uh, reminiscent of, of Egypt, the Exodus. Exactly what Moses said to the people, you know, the armies of Egypt are on their heels, coming against them. Pharaoh and his hordes, the chariots, they're all coming down the road. Wheels are churning, sea in front of them. Their predicament is grave. Moses says, stand still, stand firm, and you will see the salvation that God provides. 